Monday. I am so excited to be sharing my conversation with Emily Beerley and Jennifer Chaikin. They are hilarious, so nice, and just really intelligent, awesome people. And I'm super pumped to hear your guys' thoughts on um, the episode. I think you're gonna laugh a lot. I think you're gonna learn a lot and um, get a lot out of the episode overall. Uh, overall. And yeah. Also, as I mentioned in the comments. The second half of the episode is actually dedicated to um, answering your questions that were submitted. So on my Instagram, I posted a poll asking anyone to submit questions um, that they would want answered by two licensed therapists. And so, yeah, they go through those and I learned a lot and I think you will as well. Um, so, yeah. That, and then at the very end, you'll hear the punchline of the joke of the title. Sorry, that's my dog squeaking her toy and she... Managed to get away from get it away from me while I'm recording this. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't want to take too much time away from Shrink Chicks, so here we go. Enjoy. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am. So excited to be here with Emily Beerley and Jennifer Chaikin, who are both licensed marriage and family therapists, co-owners of The Therapy Group, and co-hosts of the amazing podcast, Shrink Chicks. Hello. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. We have, we, have a, we have a colleague in common, Hillary. Yeah, I was about to say, like, shout out Hillary for introducing us and also just like she sings your praises and reposts you guys all the time <laughs> we love her She's... i was talking to her about murder documentaries i just started watching Mindhunter and like i'm like how did i not know this existed this is everything i need in life <laughs> wait so i feel amazing. like i have heard so much about it how have i not watched it is that, on, is that a netflix one yeah i haven't watched it either but i feel like it's a good one it's so it's so good i'm obsessed um but yeah, she sings your praises and also like the story of me meeting her is hilarious in terms of like I was walking her dog like I was her dog walker. And oh, then... my God. We yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Wait, what a good story. I know. It's like one of those things where I'm like, wow, butterfly effect, like in full effect where I started walking her dog and I was like, wow, like what does she do? Because it's a nice apartment. And then I found out she was a therapist and I was applying to um, social work schools and I was like well, this is an awesome small world, but yeah, now she's a great friend. Incredible. Oh my gosh. Wow. That, that's a very good me cute, right? It like is. It's, it's so adorable. Like I walk your dog, right? Yes. Dog love. And just being a dog walker. I that's just think true. it's real cool. Yeah. That was, I mean, it did give me good money when I was in New York and couldn't afford um, anything. <laughs> Anyways. So why don't we start off? If you guys could just tell me a little bit about yourselves, where are you each from? Um, where'd you grow up? How old are you? If you care to share and yeah, what's your story? Great. You can go darling. Oh God. You always start. Thank you. (laughs) My name is Jennifer Chaikin. Um, I currently live in Philadelphia, uh, with my dog, (laughs) I guess my (laughs) husband, he counts too. And my cat. I know I always leave them out. (laughs) 
Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, as we talked about. Um, we started the therapy group back in 2014. Um, we felt like there was such a need for uh, practitioners that were really down to earth, that were creating a really safe space uh, for clients because Emily and I had really um, kind of uncomfortable experiences in therapy where we would have therapists that were just very clinical. And so yeah. we really wanted to create a practice that, um, you know, was more down to earth where therapy could be more relatable. Um, and so that was back in 2014. And so seven years later, mm -hmm. feels like it flew by in a second. Yeah. Um, and I think that's about it. What else do I do? All I focus on is the business. So I have <laughs> no other hobbies. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Started to do macrame. Yes, now you're doing macrame. I'm doing macrame. I gave it up real quick, though. Yes. No, your hobby is being a wonderful clinician and a very good friend. Thank Aww. you so much. Yeah, and you're child-free by choice. Child-free by choice, if that right? counts. Right, that's another big thing. Does that count as a hobby, though? <laughs> yeah, because you have money. Yeah. <laughs> you're, and you're, time. You're rocking that, what they call it, dinks, double income, no kids. Yes. Yes, right? Someone called me that recently. I was like, Should, I didn't know what it meant, of course, because yeah, I, I like never know what those things mean. You never know what acronym. Never. I've never um, heard um, that. Like, what, what, was the, what was the acronym I didn't know? Did it, oh, Bay. Bay. Do you Before, know what Bay means? Before anyone else? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. I Jen, had no idea. Jen thought it was just like a short baby. I kind of did too. Honestly, I for, I, that was a quick remember. <laughs> I don't know how you know, it took a few minutes. You there. did. But yeah, so you like, thought it was just a short for babe. Right, right. So someone said, yeah, someone said this, that to me the other day. I was offended and they were like, no, it's double income, no kids. I was Dude. like, oh, fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And now let Emily introduce herself. <laughs> I shouldn't have put Jen on the spot. That Wait, was she always, that me. was, it's too much, especially sorry, at the beginning really, of a podcast. I know. Okay. It takes, Jen is slow to warm. Slow to warm. Um, Jen is an oven. I'm a microwave. It's no problem. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, my name is Emily Beerley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I, um, was, um, specialize in, um, women empowerment and, uh, postpartum and moms. I'm a mom myself and to a doggy and a human and <laughs> live in the suburbs um jen and i met in the city in philly um after i got pregnant i moved out to the burbs to run that burb life um and yeah so I and think she gets no cell service there no cell service <laughs> i live in like middle of nowhere she actually lives in I'm, like the rural. woods okay i like, actually like live in like a rural area <laughs> at this point it probably um, isn't it's just coming from you. the city we yes. automatically think it's a rural area but so i think so one part that i think we created the therapy group was yes there was this need for more questions but i think the other part was that jen and i really knew we were not going to work well for someone else mm -hmm. and i say that not because we don't take feedback and we can't adjust and we're not flexible but because we really knew what we wanted to do and we really knew what we wanted to create and we wanted to take charge of that. So I think that there is a part of often women, and at the time we were in our young 20s of young 20 year old women that like, oh, they just, they don't want to do the work. Well, that wasn't true. We wanted to work our fucking asses off. We just wanted to do it our way. Yeah. Yes. And we had gotten this really, and I think that there was a pivotal moment for us when we were in graduate school together. That's how Jen and I met. Um, there's a pivotal moment where, and, um, old white man an old straight white man of course not, of course in a class one of the most important things you need to do is is uh, neuter yourself neutralize yourself don't be too feminine don't be too masculine you don't like get your ears pierced nothing. don't dye your hair and that 
for us was the moment of like, this is not we were fucking like, for us. We're not going to listen <laughs> this to is you. Not, I'm pretty sure I had pink hair at the time. I, you know, like, I just think that it, for us in that moment, it was like, oh, so like, we probably can't go work for a lot of therapy practices because it's so wild. If you look at the demographics of therapists, how many of them are women? But when you think about the big field of therapy, besides like Brene Brown, we're talking about old white men as the main names. It's a yeah. female dominated field, but it's always about men hugely making these big differences. So for us, it was like, we can't go work for anyone else. We're going to start this ourselves. We started out in a super shitty fucking basement really and bad that's not dramatic it was fucking disgusting it was bad there um, were the, cave crickets you know what cave crickets are do, no do they have they might not have you're so crickets. lucky you are so lucky you don't know what they are but they're like this these, might be a pennsylvania thing they might be they're crickets that like are in basements and they look like spiders because their legs are so big and they hop around and they're fucking crazy so we'd be seeing clients and they'd, they'd be, be like the there'd be like a <laughs> our like, rent was oh. gonna, our rent was 183 dollars a month when we started we were wow. broke. <laughs> so we just said, we'll do this. We're not going to charge a lot. We're just going to try to like say yes to everything. I wouldn't recommend that now. Well, especially because mm-hmm. people are doing virtual, you know, yeah, virtual totally has become so right? much. But seven years ago, it was like, it was like, oh, we're going to just embrace this hustle culture. And this is what we're going to do. I would not recommend that for most women now, but for us, it works at the time. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, did we just answer eight of your questions <laughs> that you already had? <laughs> so sorry. No, I mean, it really like gets to guys like questions I was curious about, like how you guys met and like, you know began your practice. And it's funny because you know, as you said at the time, it was so novel. But I feel like that's a lot of like what's happening now, which is exciting. Of like, you know, with the growth of Instagram and all these things where you can kind of build your own business and make an, like a brand for yourself without having, yeah, to work for this old white man. <laughs> so it's been almost 10 years since we were in graduate school and like, oh my, my no, and, we'll, and so in graduate school at that time, 10 years ago, it wasn't about using your personality and such. Yeah. It wasn't about using humor. It was totally different. I think it's like an old, an old, old world school. way of doing therapy is to be a completely blank slate, right? Mm-hmm. It's very Freudian. Mm-hmm. And so we, just because of our experiences in therapy ourselves, have recognized that the people we connected with the most and clients make the most progress when they feel connected to their clinician. And so when you go in and you see a therapist and you don't feel like they're being an actual person, it's really hard to connect to them. So that's why we are like so big on creating this practice that is based around being your authentic selves and very much not neutralizing yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like being totally there to ourselves, we curse in session, we joke in session, um, we will disclose when appropriate. And it was, so it was just a different thing. Yeah. I, I talked to Hillary about that. Like I had no idea about like self-disclosure and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, I really wish the therapist I'd seen like at my worst points in life were like, yeah, like I'm going to, you know, disclose this about myself, but like I also battled with an eating disorder. I also experienced anxiety. Like that would have made me feel 10 times more comfortable as opposed to someone just like kind of preaching to me. Absolutely. And that was really the experience we had, which is like, we had this experience for me, it was a pivotal moment that I was in college 
it was freshman year of college. I was at Penn State. I was definitely partying. And I like, went to this, like the only, Penn State's in the middle of fucking nowhere. So, um, like, worse than, worse than, worse than where I live now. <laughs> and, and, and I went off campus to, um, I went off campus to this, like, therapist. I don't, I have no idea. I found him. I can't remember any of this now. And he was like, well, you're definitely an alcoholic. And like, it just sounds like if you just stop drinking, you'll be fine. And I'm sitting here talking to him about it. I'm like severely depressed. I'm very anxious. I don't think I'm doing well. I want to go home. I want to leave school. My eating disorder is flaring up. And he's like, oh, well, if you just don't have it, don't do social. Your issue is you're not studying enough. And I was like, I Wait, just, what? yeah, your issue is not studying enough. You're going out too much, which was for sure part of the problem. Yeah, but, but it's like, fucking problem it was a symptom of what was happening and I never went back and I was just like fuck this guy and yeah he it was such a one-up position right so like it was just this like I know everything I'm not going to give you anything and I'm also like I left that session feeling so alone I Mm -hmm. never want anyone to leave my room feeling that way that's what I know as a therapist I love that yeah my well my next question which is like kind of in the same like realm of what we're talking about is how did you both get interested in psychology to begin with? Like, I know for me, it was like, a, it was kind of funny. I, I was interviewing a therapist um, on the podcast and now she's my actual therapist, which is funny. And <laughs> she was like saying how, like during all my questions, she's like, you'd be a good therapist. And I'm like, really? I'm so fucked up. Like, <laughs> I, mean? I can't help other people. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, uh-huh like I read like Lori Gottlieb's book and all of that I'm like wait I should go to uh social work school and that's what I did or I mean applied for it and I asked you know Hillary this and like a bunch of people but for me I think a lot of the reasons I want to pursue this is to kind of unpack my own problems and ensure that you know if I do have kids they aren't fucked up like I was and like if you know, I get married and in a relationship, like I can kind of navigate those hard things. So in other words, very selfishly motivated, but I think that's kind of a theme. Was that at all like the reason you guys pursued um, counseling? Oh, I think, I think it's probably different for everyone. So I, I have always been interested in psychology. It's something, it's kind of the friend that like everyone went to. Mm-hmm. Um, it also was something that was very much talked about in my family, right? So like anyone had an issue, it was like go to therapy. Um, and so it was something that was very normalized. Um, but I was always told, you know, if you go and become a therapist, you're not going to make any money in that. So I was like, oh shit, I got to find something else. So I ended up going into marketing, even though I, I, I majored in psychology in undergrad, I went into marketing after school. I was so miserable. Um, and I also lived in New York, Mm -hmm. really, really tough transition. So I was so miserable, um, that, I realized like, okay, you know, if I can't make any money, at least I'm doing something that I really enjoy. Also, that's a myth that you can't make money as a therapist. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I pay the therapy sessions. I'm like, okay, it's going somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, um, so I went back and it was the best decision I ever made. Emily and I met the first day. She came over to me and said, hey, we're going to be best friends. <laughs> I said, okay, I don't have a choice. And that's, that's what it's been like. Basically. And that's what it's been like ever since. Um, 
I, hey, I took one look around and I was like, I, I don't know about these people, but that girl looks kind of She okay. thought my bracelets were cool. I thought she had nice bracelets on. Really I was like, nice. you seem like maybe another human I could talk to. Right. Also, yeah, I think right. everyone else everyone else was already using like psychobabble bullshit and I right. already felt so behind. That's what it was. Can we talk about, gra- I know, and you then you have to talk about your story too because I know we're going to get off, off topic, but in grad school. Oh my God, I fucking can't. It is just- can I, I can curse on this, right? I'm already- oh, yeah, go for it. It is just, I mean, it's not a curse. It's just a circle jerk of like people, people trying who's to, smarter yeah, to sound can I smarter. Than, off it? Yes. And like, <laughs> and, and, and people, and everyone loves saying, I don't even, once again, fully know what this means, everything but the kitchen sink. <laughs> like, why does everyone say that? Wait, I don't remember. That, I, that just makes me think of the Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> Oh, which is a great ice cream. But like, what's the saying mean? I swear to God, someone would say it all the time. I'd be like, ugh. So yeah. So like you're in grad school. Like it is. It's like, okay. So there was like a few things that I feel like really came up, which like one of the things our first day at grad school are, we did have like this great director's program. And one thing he said was one, you're born to be a therapist. So if you are going to be therapists that end up being genuine, authentic therapists are probably people that have always been good friends, have people that are always listeners, listeners, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so like, this is like a born human trait and that's the art. Now there's also the theory and the education, but we need the art and the theory and the education together. And the other thing he said was, if you are here to be, to change the world, leave, because you're not going to most of you are just going to change small moments. So as long as you're okay with that, you're most likely not going to be the most famous therapist in the world. You're most likely not going to have a million book deals. You're most likely not going to be create some new life-changing fucking theory. Jesus. But really like, you don't remember this. Shoot us fire down. I know. But <laughs> I, no, no, but you want to know what for me, what that was, was it was like relief. Right. It, it wasn't was like, as much pressure. Yes. Like I felt like instant relief that was like, oh, you don't have to change anything. Your only job is to sit in someone else, hold space and be present. And for me, as someone who was a perfectionist and was a people pleaser, that was like actually a huge relief for me to hear. Well, I think- I need lowered expectations. I think uh, to piggyback off of that- (laughs) (laughs) And to circle back around. And to circle back, to piggyback off that. you know, I think I think a, a big piece, something that we really had to learn too, was that you have to meet clients where they are, right? You cannot mm-hmm. work h- harder than your clients. You can guide your clients, but in the end, they have to be the ones to do the work. So I think that too, you know, a, a good point is like you go in to help people, but people have to be willing to help themselves yeah. first, or so guide yeah. them into helping themselves more than anything. So I think that in itself takes the pressure off yeah. too. Like I can give you directions to drive to the shore. I can give you different routes to drive. I can tell you what to do when you get to the tolls. I can tell you what to do. You can call me when you hit a pothole, but I can't drive the car for you. It's your job to get to the shore. Mm. Yeah. I actually saw, ugh, I saw a really funny meme that I'm going to try to find. Oh no. <laughs> that was like, I love a meme culture. I just think, like, don't you just love when you see a meme and you're like, this embodies It's just normalizing. It's just so normalizing. The humor aspect. Wait, let me find it because I definitely- I mean, 2020 was horrible, but we've got some great content. Really great content. Right? I mean, there were some good laughs in there. There was- I mean, we were so anxious when 2020 hit. We we did so much. But no, but I mean, even just hilarious content from the internet, right? Like, you know, who doesn't like a nice meme? I know I'm dying to see what you pull up here. Me too. Ugh. I really hope it's, I can find it. Okay, I'm going to find this and like, 
and send it after because okay now because you can't leave us hanging do you really want your your listenership to go right down down. just let jen and i mumble for a while (laughs) (laughs) no no worries yeah i'll i'll add it in luckily garage (laughs) band thanks shout out garage band but that's yeah i mean it's super interesting though because i I didn't study psychology or any, I was like an engineering major in school. So that is definitely something I am a little nervous about going to social work school where, I mean, I just joined like the Facebook group and everyone's like, (laughs) like just very wanting to change the world and like so woke. And I'm like, I I did numbers. (laughs) wait but there is a book what the fuck is the book oh my god now i have to send it to you because there's a book that talks about how engineers and therapists brains actually work the same way that they're that it's different information they're computing but the way they go through processes is very similar what is it i'm gonna find it and send it to you it's Thank probably you. with the meme it's with your meme it's yeah, with the meme yeah no i mean i can see that like the psychoanalysis and like I feel like I <laughs> psychoanalyze everyone I meet. I'm like, well, they're just projecting the fact that like, <laughs> but- you know what? Once that's the thing is that once you become a therapist, you start thinking that way, you become very socially awkward. Yeah, you do. <laughs> because you all you do is more. just your thing. You're constantly processing what's happening with other people. Oh, we always talk about this story too, that Emily, when Emily and I were in grad school, we very much had to learn how to turn it off and turn it on in our friendship. Our friendship oh, was God. new too. So like there was a time, I think you, were you fighting with your husband now? I probably, yeah. she was fighting As with always. her husband now. And so like, we're so in this mode at the time of like, this is how you give therapy. This is how you support people. But like, you are like obsessed with being couples. Right. But you don't want your friend, like if you're pissed off at your boyfriend, you don't want your friend to be like, well, what's happening for you? You know, it's like the <laughs> yeah. last thing you want. No. So like, that guy. Yeah, yeah. You want to be like, fuck that guy. What's he doing? Right. Yeah, yeah. And so we, so Emily was like, I, I need you to not be a therapist right now. I'm like, just my friend. I was like, well, fuck him. <laughs> I need you to pull it back. Pull lady. it back. Right. So we had to really learn how to turn it on and turn it off. Now it's just fully integrated. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> Who yeah, I, I think, yeah, I don't think we could be a therapist if we tried to each other. No. And that's the thing is like, because you have to remember the importance of that unbiased idea, which is like, you can't fully see someone. So like, even if you start to psychoanalyze people outside or start to look at their relationship patterns, you still don't know the full story. You still don't see everything and you still have your biased view. Yes. So even because I do it to my husband literally all day long. And then I have to remember, wait a second, I'm bringing my own shit into this. Yes. There's all this different stuff that applies. I'm maneuvering this to whatever. I may be possibly 100% manipulating the situation. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I mean, that's why I've just been really, and I've, <laughs> I like, I'm shouting out Hillary like a gazillion times, but I'm really excited to have like more friends like her, like who are therapists because it kind of lets me find the fine balance of getting that like perspective like the therapist perspective without like the but this is what you're doing wrong like <laughs> the like a little bit supportive with the advice I need but without being like but you, you know I mean this is so like stereotypical my therapist doesn't say this but like how does that make you feel kind of a thing like it, it's a little fine balance so well, and, I, and I think we should normalize I think we should normalize in relationships 
giving feedback, right? Like mm-hmm. we do not need to co-sign hundred percent. We can love, support, cherish, and empower people without enabling every single behavior. Right. And I think that this is very hard, especially if I am super sensitive to feedback, especially if I grew up in a family that was highly critical, especially if I am an internalizer that integrates in and destroys myself from within. So like, I do think that we should normalize saying to people like, Hey man, like, I don't know. I think you should sort of check yourself with that. Like, especially as right. white women for us. Yes. And like when we talk about what, if I hear something that's problematic, it, it, I should use my power and privilege to talk about that. I think, yeah. I think so too. You can say them like, Hey, can I give you some feedback? Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to ask yes. and say like, can I give you some feedback or, you know, do you want me to, like, can I be a therapist right now? Like, is this something that, you know, you're open to? And, and a lot of times I'll say to people like, Okay, professionally, here's what Emily would say. Personally, here's what I would actually say too. Like, cause like a lot of times, like it's different. Professionally, I'm I'm going to like look down a different avenue. Sometimes personally, I'd be like, yeah, fuck that shit. Cause I think, <laughs> well, I think professionally, and I always sometimes say that in session, only like four <laughs> times a session, <laughs> only four times every session. Um, but I think professionally too, you know, we're so focused on helping the person gain their own self-empowerment to make changes in their life, right? And as friends, I think typically what we want is for people to get like angry with us, right? To, to validate yeah. us, which is something that, that we absolutely do. But I think that part of the work as being a therapist is helping our clients to become empowered to make changes for themselves. Um, and that's what they have control over, right? Like you don't have control over what anyone else is doing. You only have control, control over what's going on for you. And so I think that that's part of it too. And sometimes people don't want to hear that, right? Like if you're giving advice as a friend, people don't want to hear like, okay, well, what can you do differently? No. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And I've definitely been on like both sides of that. So (laughs) I can a hundred percent relate. Hey guys, me really quick. I just wanted to talk about a couple of my amazing sponsors. The first being Sakara. Sakara is a company that delivers fresh, organic, perfectly portioned meals um, right to your home or your, you know, virtual office or wherever you are so that you can get back to feeling really good again, both mentally, physically, etc. I feel like at the beginning of every year, you know, you're thinking about like, how do I become my best self for 2021 or whatever. And a lot of that usually is around like eating well, um, whether it be for your like physical, you know, health or your mental well-being. And something I love about Sakara is like their philosophy is very like based on, it's very much based on like eating well so that you can feel well in your brain, feel well in your body. Um, and they have a bunch of different programs, whether it's like their signature program or their 10 day reset. Um, and then they have a clean boutique where I get my probiotics and metabolism super powder. So I just highly recommend them. They really are about like feeding your like mind, body, and soul, which is super cool. So if you want 20% off your order, you can go to sakara.com and then they use the code XOZOE at checkout. So again, that's sakara.com code is XOZOE and you'll get 20% off your order. Um, so I have a bunch of questions now from my followers, which is exciting. And I'm excited to ask you guys them. Um, I tried to like organize them in the way I thought was like best, but we'll see. (laughs) Okay. The first question is, how do you decide what type of therapy is best for you? Ooh. So 
most therapists are going to have an eclectic approach where they bring a whole bunch of different theories. So I think it's up to you to think about like, what do I do well with? And this is sometimes why it's important to know yourself, to know what works, right? Mm-hmm. For some people actually that standoffish, how does that make you feel does work for them because they need more space to just talk. For other people, they need someone who's more active. So I would think about in interactions where you left feeling the most heard and understood, what did that other person do? And that's probably the type of therapist you may need. Can we also normalize trying out a bunch of different therapists? Yeah. It's like dating. Go. Exactly. And so I always recommend call, ask a therapist if they do a free 15 minute phone consultation, because you can get a sense of if you connect with them over the phone. So it's, it's, you know, it's helpful to have someone who specializes in what you're looking for. And you can say, have you ever, here's what I'm looking for. I am going through A, B, and C. Have you ever worked through this before? What do you do when you work with a client who's going through this? And if you try a few sessions and you don't feel connected to them, it feels off. You can try another therapist. Mm-hmm. It is totally okay. I think so often people will go into therapy and have a bad therapeutic experience and then write therapy off altogether, yeah. where it really does matter the connection that you can build with your therapist. It is the number one thing that helps you know you move make any movement in therapy. I mean, but it's it's the same thing you think about like with fitness, physical fitness, right? I fucking hate running. If someone was like the only exercise you could do is running, I'd be like I'm just never going to fucking move my body right? cuz I don't like yeah. that shit. My knees. But there's other things you can try too. So if something doesn't work, you try something else. The same thing, there's lots of different types of therapists, there's lots of different types of theories. And also there's different types of therapeutic modalities, right? So like you know, trauma work, you can do process, you can okay, also except do EMDR. For, I have to say, if you're going to couples therapy- You have to see a couples therapist. You have to see a couples therapist. You, yeah. Not just someone who says they're a couples therapist. Right, you have to see someone who difference. specializes in systemic work. <laughs> Right? That one because matters. That one matters. Um, that that's well, really and, important. And family and therapy same thing, And sex therapy. And sex therapy. Right. So Someone like, who specializes, who has a specialty in sex therapy. Because there are some people that don't have any type of sex therapy training, and then you want to go in and talk about these, you know, intense sexual experiences. Well, one, they're going to get uncomfortable, which is going to make you uncomfortable and feel ashamed. So you do want to make sure- and you're going to turn back inward. Yeah, exactly. In something that's already so vulnerable for you to begin with. Yeah. So I think that trying out different therapists is absolutely something to do. We very much, I say to people when I first meet them, listen, it is so important that you feel connected to me. If you don't, that is totally fine. I will help you find another therapist. Yeah, like, like all the time. We do not take that personally no. where it is, you know, someone who might be a good fit with me might not be a good fit with Emily and someone who's pretty a good much fit with Emily wouldn't be a good fit for me. It's just, it, it is, it's pretty much like dating exactly what you said. And that's yeah. happened. There's time, there's been times that like, like when I went on maternity leave and Jen covered a client for me that decided to stay with Jen. There's been times where someone came in, um, was with Jen and then came in to say me and decided to stay with me. That has nothing to say that one of us is better or worse than the other. It's simply just different. And I think that yeah. at the beginning of becoming a therapist, that can be really intimate. That can be like really rejection. hard. It feels very personal. After a while, you realize it is not personal to you. It is. And I think that's really important for a therapist to do their own work so that they're not taking it personally. They're not taking it out on the relationship with the client. Mm-hmm. Um, because it isn't personal to you that it's just their therapeutic relationship is just so so important if your therapist yeah. has never been to therapy don't go see that therapist <laughs> yeah that's a, 
fucking, that's a red flag. Red right flag. There. That's, that's a really good question to ask in a consultation. And you can ask that. You are allowed to ask. That's what you're allowed to ask political affiliation. You're allowed to ask, are they in therapy? Ask, therapy? Ask, but... ask whatever you want. It doesn't mean that they'll answer, but you're allowed to ask anything you want. That's good to know. I actually didn't know that. And yeah, I mean, because that stuff does matter. And I think also you kind of mentioned this in the beginning, like thinking of like what conversations have you had that made you feel empowered when you left. And one thing, like when I was initially looking for therapists, it was when I was younger. So my mom was like involved in the process, which <laughs> in hindsight, terrible decision. And of course, like, you know, she had never been to therapy. So she just sees like CBT, DBT, like proven facts, blah, blah, blah. And I'm this person that likes to talk. Like, I like to have 45 minutes where I can just, like, vent, have someone give, like, guided advice, and then be like, cool, got that off my chest. So even though those are all proven and scientific and, like, for someone with a mathematical brain like myself, I you'd think it would be something I like, but I was like, no, I just like someone to talk to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. Well, that's a really great example, right? So, like, I'm someone that, like, I'm going to be honest, I cherish my therapy sessions. It is 50 minutes just about me. I listen to all, pe- all people. That is like pure just me zone. So I want to be able to talk that whole time. You never get to talk about yourself. I never get to talk about myself, right? So except for that we have a whole podcast now. Right. So, oh, so I do that for right now. <laughs> right now, but I don't shut up about myself. But so, right. But if I was in a session which was really structured or doing worksheets, I would leave feeling very frustrated. Same. So that's a great thing. You're right. There's all this evidence behind CBT, but that would not be the best thing for me personally. And people, people might love that, yeah, right? And there's like, other people that there's people really who would be like, to. I want a worksheet. Like I want to go home and do some homework. Yes. For me, I'm like, I don't want to be doing any homework just by writing things down. Like I could do homework internally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not <laughs> yeah, going to do exactly. the worksheet. Exactly. That's totally fine. And you can also say that to the therapist. Do you provide homework? Do you provide out of session activities or how do you do what, what's your process in between? My therapist gives me work every single time, but it's stuff to reflect on. It's stuff to process on. It's stuff to be mindful of. Yeah, a hundred percent. This is worksheet. I would just dump it. <laughs> like not happening. So this question is kind of, I guess, a good way to segue. But how can you tell if therapy is working? Oh, I, I have so you know. many. <laughs> yeah, I have so many different answers for this because I think. I think it depends on what point you're at when you first go into therapy, right? That Mm -hmm. because I think that there's a bunch of different ways that you can see that it's working, right? So like sometimes people leave their first session, for example, and they feel lighter. Sometimes people leave their first however many sessions and they feel completely overwhelmed. And so that's kind of part of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, But if if you if you go in for something like anxiety, for example, and you're, you feel like you're walking away without any tools, without any, like any understanding of your anxiety in, in a way that helps you even just a littlest bit, where it doesn't mean your anxiety is going to go away, but you have more of an understanding mm-hmm. of it. Um, because therapy is such a process too. Mm-hmm. Like it takes time and there's so many times where you can go in and out of making progress where you can make progress and then you can revert back where you can make progress and then you can revert back where it ta- sometimes it takes a ton of time. Sometimes people will call up and be like, how, how many sessions will it take until I'm better? And I'm like, listen, I don't have an answer for you. I wish I did. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I want to give this disclaimer too. 
if you grew up in a family where you were not allowed to talk negatively about someone, if you were not, if you had to put everything under the rug, if, if secret keeping was huge, therapy is going to feel very uncomfortable, even if you're making progress. And that's what you have to remember is sometimes growing in progress is a lot of discomfort. I think the, the people who are the most internal too, the ones who aren't used to expressing their feelings, you can make progress that much quicker also because it's so uncomfortable. You're putting yourself in such an uncomfortable situation, but because you're pushing yourself to do that, your progress can be that much quicker. Yeah. That's interesting too. Cause I'm the opposite. I'm like an open book. Like here's my life story. And it, it in some ways it is harder to see if I'm making progress sometimes. Cause I'm like, I'm still an open book. Like, <laughs> and it kind of takes the, you know, the therapist perspective to be like, no, you are like so much different and happier than you were like last year. So and I think, I think that that's an important thing too. You know, we see clients at very specific times. Like it's very easy for us to recognize clients' progress. Whereas like when you're just living in yourself and your everyday life, it's hard to see the steps that you're taking. Yeah. But as a, a clinician, you very much see your clients' progress because you can think about when they first came in to where they are now and all of the differences and all of the changes that they've made. So that's important to reflect on when you're in therapy. Like what are the changes? And that's something you could bring up to your therapist. Can we talk about like some of the changes, some of the progress, you know, you can reassess your goals in therapy mm-hmm. if you feel like you're stuck. So it's very much a process and it, it should be an open process with your therapist as well. Amazing. Okay. Next question is how do you differentiate doing what's best for yourself and maintaining your boundaries with being selfish and cutting people off? I like this question. So I think what we're talking about is um, the different types of boundaries, right? So we've like, people talk about, we have porous boundaries and rigid boundaries, right? So porous is like, I let everyone walk all over me. I have no boundaries. People please are, I say everything. Rigid is I don't let anyone in. I have no flexibility. I'm not adaptable. In between that, is balance in between that is self-care healthy boundaries healthy boundaries right and so for you to sit there and assess and ask yourself what am i cutting someone off or am i setting this boundary as self-protection as avoidance what's the function of this behavior right Mm -hmm. because it's going to look and i think that's another thing like social media is really about having social media conversations about boundaries are typically for people with porous boundaries yes right? But not everyone has porous boundaries. Some people have overly rigid boundaries and really struggle to let people in and also have high emotional reactivity where they easily cut people off. There is an in-between. We don't want enmeshment. We don't want cut off. We want what's called differentiation, which is the ability to respond and not react. Yeah. It sounds like too, the person who's asking is saying, how do I not be self? Like it it sounds like too, to set boundaries feels selfish in some way. So people who typically have porous boundaries who are more used to not having, you know, their boundaries being very flexible, people walking all over them, then it's it's very common for them to feel like, okay, if I set these boundaries or if I say no or if I do something for myself, it must mean that I'm selfish in some way. Yeah. That does not mean you're selfish. It means you're taking care of yourself. Another thing that happens is when you start setting these boundaries, if people in your life are so used to you not setting boundaries that there might be some pushback because it's new. And so, but if the people in your life 
are only friends with you, are only with you, connected to you because you have no boundaries, then that's also an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you start setting boundaries, if people have a problem with that, then that, that it might be the, the fact that those relationships are going to change. And yeah. that that might, as difficult as that is with the grief that comes with that, um, it's healthy. It's healthy to let those relationships change if you are focusing on taking care of yourself and being communicative about that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it, it is definitely hard, especially when it comes to really close friends and family members, like when they give you pushback saying like, because I think sometimes, at least my own experience, I've been attempting to set a boundary and the response is well, like, you're cutting me off like that. It's like, no, 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 I'm trying to find that balance. But I think in that moment, though, you can hear that person's fear. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, when someone comes up with that about like, you're cutting me off or you just want to get rid of me. What they're telling you is their very, very real fear of perceived abandonment. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to also give that person um, some nurturing and softness hey, that must be really scary to feel like I'm cutting you off. I'm actually just doing this to set my boundary. Hey, so could we make sure we have something on the calendar for next week? Could we make sure we have this set up to reconnect? Because people are allowed to have fear. And what we want, we don't want people that are walking around saying, fuck you and fuck this and I hate everything. Because that's reactive. Because that's reactive. So there's a way of setting boundaries. Boundaries don't mean, boundaries don't have to be cold. Boundaries can be warm, soft, and loving while also structured. Yeah, 100%. This question is kind of similar as well, but, and I I can speak from personal experience, like going through a suicide loss and being in a really difficult time and, you know, having friends who had never experienced anything like that and feeling that they weren't being supportive Granted, at the time, I was in such a low place in my life that, like, I I thought everyone was out to get me. I thought no one understood me. In hindsight, I understand that if you don't experience something like that, you have no idea how to react. So the question is, how can you tell if your friends are being truly supportive versus, like, truly supportive even in the context of, like, not knowing how to be? And I guess a follow-up question would be that I'm adding is, like, how can you advise your friends on how to be supportive in times when you're going through like depression or, um, you know, heightened anxiety, et cetera? So I think that what something to think about is like, what does truly supportive mean to you? Right. Because I think that could be different for everyone, right? Like when we go through something difficult, um, you know, if we're going through depression, um, if we're going through a loss that we might need different things than what some other people need. And so, you know, some people might want phone calls. Some people might want their friends to come knock on their door and like bake them something. Some people might just want text. They might not want to talk on the phone. Um, and so I think, I think a question to ask yourself is like, when I go through a hard time, what is the kind of support that I might be looking for from other people? Mm-hmm. Um, and to know that your friends or people in your life really might not know what that looks like for you. And that it's okay to express that or it's okay to have that conversation because 
I think that, you know, when we're close to people, they want to be supportive, but sometimes people are supportive in ways that maybe aren't helpful for you. Or, you know, some people might be like, okay, I'm going to give them their space because they probably need that space, right? There's like an assumption that, okay, they probably need that space. So I'm going to step back and just, and give it to them. Whereas the, the, person who needs the support might feel like, okay, they don't care about me. They're not Mm -hmm. asking me how I am. They're not reaching out. And so know that everyone kind of interprets that level of support differently. And so it's okay to communicate that to say, hey, I'm going through a really hard time. Like, do you have some time to talk? Or can we meet up, you know, and get some coffee? Can, um, or even even like, hey, I'm going through a really hard time. I just need my space. It's not personal to you. You know, to be very clear and open about what that support looks like for you. And I think in whether it's friendships, relationships, we often feel when we're in that space, they should just know, right? Like they should just know how to support me. We do that in our romantic relationships too, right? Like we've Mm -hmm. been together for so long. They should just know. But your people in your life are not mind readers and they're all coming from their own perspective about what support looks like. Mm -hmm. So it's completely okay to express that if you're going through it and you're feeling like it's personal, like my friends aren't supporting me in the ways that I would want them to, to say like, Hey, you know, I'm going through a really hard time. Like, can we do this? Can, these are the ways that you can support me that feel really helpful for me in these moments. I mean, I think, essentially what we're talking about is grief. Whether we're talking about death or whether we're talking about a loss of what we thought 2020 was going to look like, a yeah. loss of a move, a loss of a relationship, right? Like we're talking about grief and grief is a hell of a fucking emotion because when you're deep in it, it's dark, it's scary, and it's very hard to communicate those things. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's really difficult because yes, you should be able to hopefully say that to your friends and advocate for yourself. But like, as you probably know, that's pretty hard Yeah, when we're in the depths of grief. So I think it's one of those times where like, you know, like also like grief sort of can come and go, right? So when we have a glimmer of out of the grief a little bit, that's when you like send the text. You don't do it in the darkest moment because in the darkest moment you can't, right? The same thing. Communication is best done, not during a fight. It's done in the good times, but we always think, well, I don't know. I finally feel good. Why do I want to bring this up now? So when you have a little little sparkle of relief from that grief that's when you text someone and say hey i'm feeling kind of good today i but it tends to only last for 24 hours can we make sure something's planned for this weekend because that's going to give you a little bit something to hold on to but grief is about grieving it's messy it's horrible and you're right most people don't get it right and most people are really uncomfortable with it yeah and i think you touched on a good point like even if it's grieving over what 2020 could be because then people or someone who might be feeling that way, be like, well, I shouldn't be, but then they feel the shame of feeling sad about something that's not tragic. Or, I mean, like it's tragic to them, but so it's like, well, yeah, and that's when we get into toxic positivity, yeah. which is like, my shit's not as bad as their shit, you yeah. know, shit, shit, man. Smells right. the same, looks the fucking same, you know, and obviously there's some shit that's worse, but when we're talking about grief, it can feel. I'm just like thinking just about like shit. <laughs> just because you said smells I did. the Wait, same. Wait, that's really funny. I actually took my daughter to a petting zoo this weekend. And then on the ride home, I was like, it's fucking disgusting. I can't get this fucking smell out of here. It's everywhere. It's my husband the entire ride home. We get home. I had stepped in poop. It smelled because I was in fucking poop on my it shoes. The petting zoo. It was not the petting zoo. I had poop on my shoes. 
Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it has nothing look, to do with the podcast. It, it was just bad. It smelled the same as Looked other. and smelled Ooh. the same. I thought it was the same over there. I thought it was the same over here. Poop on my shoes. Great, I don't know. Great metaphor. <laughs> Never invited back to the show. <laughs> no, always. Um, <laughs> next question uh, is more related to relationships. What are some effective tools for moving on without confrontation, dialogue, or closure? At the end of a relationship. Yeah. Like, let's say a relationship ended and you never got that closure, you never got that dialogue, and you never were able to confront them. Number one thing to go with, 90 days, no talking, we're looking at their shit. Separate yourself from your phone. And be with other people. Yeah breakups are so hard yeah so but they're worse if you're punishing yourself yes they're and hard we do that they're hard and yet we make them harder yeah, yeah. So I'm, gonna look, I'm gonna look my ex up and see who they're talking to right or, i'm gonna look at every single comment on their picture and see if there's a possibility that they hooked up with this person or i'm gonna try to reach out to them a million times because i think that i need closure but yeah that's not what I'm yeah, doing. You write a, le- write a letter that you never send. And you light that shit on fire. So recommendation, 60 to 90 days, no looking at them, no talking, and give yourself time away from it all. I think one a really, really tough thing about breakups, about because it's another grief, right, if we're talking about grief, but is the transition from going to like talking to that person, talking to the same person for however long to, okay, now what do I do? Like, you're so focused on like the kind of emotion attached to this relationship and then autumn and then it changes, right? Like it, it drops mm-hmm. off. And so that can be a really, really hard time. So take that emotion that you would have put into the relationship that now you don't know what to do with, um, that you're putting into social media, but just by stalking your ex, take it and, and turn it into like, how do I take care of myself? How do I reach out to my support system? This is a time in which your support system is essential. And if you are spending too much time at home on your phone, it is going to torture you. Yeah. I think there's, I forget who said it. If it was like in a movie or something, but like if you're thinking about reaching out to your ex, like text me instead or something, or like someone changed the ex's phone number to her own phone number. Yeah, like yeah. delete their number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I think about. It's like how much self-punishment am I doing, right? This world is hard enough. What are some ways that you make it harder for yourself? And I think I think people say like, oh, I don't want to block them or I don't want to delete them off social media because it's petty and I want to seem like I'm above it. Like, no, you, can them. you delete them. You protect yourself. You take care of yourself. And maybe the you can way- always do it. Join back again. Yeah. And the ways in which you can do that is separate yourself from it. That that's the way in which you're going to take care of yourself because otherwise you're going to end up torturing yourself mm-hmm. in so many ways. Okay, the last question from my followers is I left for last because A, it's for my best friend and B, of course, it's hilarious. How can I ask my partner to be kinkier in bed? I would really like to try out some new stuff in bed. Would you be interested in that? Like, hey, this is something that really turns me on, and I know we've never talked about it. Yeah. Let's give this a try. Would you like to watch some porn together, discover yes. new things? Have or, you- like, pull up a porn that has that kinky stuff in it and be like, hey, want to try that? Yeah. Or you come home with those items, whether it's having new toys in bed, whether it's getting into bondage, any of these things. We usually, our partners are pretty interested as well. So, often so one of the things that might make you feel safer here's something i've i know people have done before is right so you're going to do something a little bit more vanilla lingerie 
So you're gonna they're gonna come home. You're in lingerie, and then depends what while, kind of lingerie. Well, yeah. Wait, what do you mean for how vanilla it is? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess it's all pretty vanilla, right? It's all pretty. <laughs> Depends on who you're talking to. I guess that's true. Okay. So for some of you, you're right. You're right. I'm not trying to yuck anyone's yum. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> so, so you come home, you guys are already intimate, and then you bring it up then. Um, sometimes people feel more comfortable once they have already let down a part of that sexual door of having lingerie, of doing massage to open up something new. But usually our partners are pretty open for us to simply just say, I'd be interested in trying something new in bed. How do you feel about that? Talking about sex, although it's sometimes not sexy, right? Like to let's communicate about our yeah, sex life. I, but I don't know yeah. why we think communication in general is not very sexy. No. It wouldn't be about sex either. No. It's still just another form of conversation but, and consent. Yeah. But it's but it's important. You know, yes. communicating about sex is really, really important. And so I think that figuring out what feels right for you, yeah. like what's the time you can open that door? Like at the dinner table, does it not feel as comfortable yeah. to be like, hey, I want to try something kinky? So here's a great thing you could do. We're gonna we're gonna give your best. Friend. What's their it. name? Should we, can we give them a nickname? No, probably, probably, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll I'll just tell Susie and their partner a great activity to do is to sit at home one night, whether you have a glass of wine or a glass of water or whatever you're into, and say, okay, I'm gonna write down five things I would like to try at some point in our sex life. And then you're going to write five things down. And then we're going to see if anything overlaps on our list. I might be surprised about one of your five things. There might be parts of yourself I didn't realize that came with that. There might be some part that I never thought of, but hey, man, I'd be into that too. And so it's a great activity to do. What are some things I'm interested in? How can we make a shared list together? I think one of the reasons why it's scary to bring that up is like the fear of rejection, right? Like if we bring something up that sex is very, Mm -hmm. sex can be very vulnerable, Right. So to bring something up like, hey, I'm into this, you know, like this is something I would like to try. Are you? And our partner says like, no, you know, like there's such a fear of getting that rejection. And so that's why it can be really, really scary. Um, And so I think that that's a really good idea. Another idea is you could just send, have your friend send her partner this podcast and say, listen to this last (laughs) part where I ask this question and then just stare stare at them directly in the eyes. True. That's a good point. That's really nice and passive. That's, that's passive. That's man, a that's passive way to passive do it. Passive communication mm-hmm. there. And then just stare at them. Love it. Because I know we're short on time, so I'm just going to ask you one of the questions that I usually wrap up with. Do you have a favorite piece of advice or quote that you live by? We should. I know. Gosh, that should. That There's should. just so many. Or book or... For, okay, so, so my piece that I live by for my own growth work is helping is the happy side of control. I have been working for many years to give up control. And one of the ways I do that is I'm an over helper. So for me, I'm really trying to release that, that I'm a lot more than my productivity and I'm a lot more of how I help other people. Oh, I like that. So like it, so basically helping is still control. Yeah, got it. Okay, that's actually I love that. Um, no, I'm not a control freak. I mean, no. The first thing that came to my mind, I don't know if it's my main one, is that other people's feelings are not your responsibility. Because mm-hmm. I yeah. think that as someone who's a people pleaser, and I think that it's common that we're taught, especially as women, that we're taught that we have to make everyone else happy. It's our job to nurture, make sure everyone else is happy. And that other people, it's other people's responsibility to work through their own 
kind of emotions. Um, of course, if you're punching someone in the face and telling them to go fuck themselves, like, yeah. you know, yeah, there's, that's a reason to yeah. apologize. Um, but I'm speaking more from a, from a people-pleasing perspective um, as someone who, you know, like very, pick, very much picks up on other mm-hmm. people's emotions very easily. Definitely. I will say uh, we had Alana Gardner, who's an amazing therapist. You should follow her on Instagram, but she was on our podcast. And one of the things she said that I've always kept me kept with me is little by little, little becomes a lot. And yeah. that is what healing is. That is what growth is. That little by little, little becomes a lot. That's beautiful. That's okay, a better, back, that's back a better way to end. That's Let that one go. <laughs> amazing. Um, and also I found the, <laughs> the meme. Oh, what is it? That we're ready. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's actually like a joke. How many shrinks does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. <laughs> good. That is good. So true. I like that. That's good. That's good. I, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to leave this for last. Well, amazing. <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming oh, on. You guys are amazing. amazing. I like, are you guys Eagles fans too? Since you're going? obviously. Yeah. Okay, go Eagles. Good. Even better. Wait, are you from Jersey? Yeah, I'm from Jersey, but. I'm an Eagles fan because my my friend who passed away was so I just go Eagles. Yeah. Amazing, go Eagles, Eagles, go Eagles. <laughs> it's a Philly accent, but can't say I, yeah I, I can't do that. I don't, I don't even know what a Philly accent is except for like I don't know craziness and it's water. <laughs> it's water. Water. Thank you for having us. Thank it you was so wonderful. Much. Where can everyone follow you guys? Learn more about your practice. If you're, located, if you're located in Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, or Massachusetts, you can see one of our amazing clinicians at thetherapygroup.com. You can follow us at WC Therapy Group or at Shrink Chicks and listen to us at Shrink Chicks for anywhere anywhere you get your podcast. Amazing. Well, thank you guys again and bye everyone. Thank you.